I've clicked the Hello. button. And after, uh, and after an unexpected hiatus, uh, allow us to welcome you back to Monarchism Unfiltered. After unexpected technical problems that prevented us from recording this episode the first time, here we are with a new setup and improved audio quality, at least on my part, uh, for today, uh, to finally bring you the Renaissance episode. Yeah, I mean, the feudalism episode really broke us. In more ways than one. But so, the Renaissance. An age often seen as a precursor to the Enlightenment, even though that, whatever that means. Uh, an, uh, an age where the ignorance or backwardness and what other, and what other uh, expellatives you can pick for the Middle Ages was overcome for an era of Enlightenment. The truth of the matter is, well, that's frankly a wrong way to word it. No, neither were the medieval ages that backwards, nor was the Renaissance that forward thinking. After all, uh, if the Renaissance is to be considered a thing, it should be considered a thing on the basis that it was an age of uh, apocalyptism. Pretty much everyone either believed the world was going to end or wanted it to end. They were very into the end of the world. That was a big theme. For them. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would be natural that one would be. I mean, you just survived the Black Plague. Not to mention that immediately after the Black Plague, there were tremendous social changes and political realignments going around. It does not seem like the best age to be alive. Also, Great Western Schism, Hundred Years' War. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, here we're casting a very broad net on what is the Renaissance, but. Yeah, the, I mean, the the big things about the Renaissance can be seen as the breakdown of, not, no, Minoranism was already there by the 12th century, an essential realignment of the political dynamics of the medieval ages. Now, um, the burghers, yeah, the actual, the literal, I suppose I should say bourgeoisie, but that's a specific thing as well. But no, burghers, as in the, the uh, literal inhabitants of cities, started taking a political uh, ascendancy during this period, or their ascendancy becomes more pronounced as opposed to uh, what it was in the, in the, in the previous centuries. So, so, you, so you have this change on the internal dynamics of all states. You have, I mean, guilds were already a thing, but the Renaissance is the high is the is the high point of guilds in terms of the social and political and economic force, especially in Italy, where we have accounts of nobles abdicating of their title in order to a not only participate in in Italian city-state politics and b to be able to join guilds. It is not so much that guilds prohibit the admission of nobles. It's more so that the condition of nobility precluded one from uh, joining guilds in medieval, in Renaissance Italy. But um, while we're talking about this, uh, the, although Italy is often considered the centerpiece of the Renaissance, largely due to art, for lack of a better term, the Renaissance was a very global, European phenomenon. Um, where, uh, where you see the, a large amount of changes. Uh, in, 
a good example of the changes that were already undergoing before the Renaissance but reached the high point is the communal revolution. Again, in Italy, this was, lit this was very literal, revolts for cities to regain their quote-unquote lost rights that supposedly went back to Roman times, but in the majority of cases, they didn't. Um, but you also had a communal revolution in Iberia, both in Portugal and Spain, but this was again Arfueros, and it was not really revolutionary. It was, fair, it was actually 99, 90%, 90%, it was nearly every time uh, the monarch giving such rights to towns, typically with colonialist uh, and settlement views. Though there were some exceptions where it was just given because, you know, that town was actually economically important. Oh, come on. None of you want to add something? Uh, sorry, we're a bit, we're a bit out, of, out of the routine of making the thing. That is uh, yeah, no, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, people were... There's a big overhaul in, like, how militaries worked. A uh, large part of that was due to gunpowder, which was coming in hot, you know, and so that meant that castles were not as important to warfare as they, they previously had been. And that, of course, uh, chipped away at the power of the nobility. And also uh, the way in which you supplied troops changed. There was a much, uh, you know, mercenaries became much more popular than they previously had been. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's as well as I think you see more of a development of professional militaries, um, which, you know, in many cases are kind of just stable mercenaries anyway. Um, yeah. Or consistently employed mercenaries. Yeah, um, and, and a new thing, and, and really the hallmark of a professional or mercenary army is that they're able to coup the state. No. Um, <laughs> ha, 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 ha. I'm sorry. Uh. There's a, there's a dig at something Mikhail said uh, last episode. Still. Guess you don't remember because it was three years ago. Pretty much. Um, Fun fact while we're talking about army reorganization, it was uh, the development of gunpowder actually undercut a very big one. The army of the Papal States, I think slightly before the Borgia Papacy, um, was uh, reforming its army along Roman lines. And apparently the process was, uh, was uh, filled with hilarity because turns out by the Renaissance, the average age of, the, of, the, of, of people just in general was such that it was difficult to find people short enough for military service because apparently the papal states were taking all of their cues from de re militari. But uh, but yeah, you if if you go look up, you have like p the the big show of this was the shift towards pavisseria infantry, which was big pavis shields, which were tr which were traditionally used with crossbowmen, but also being employed in a very Roman Rome tower shield esque way by the troops of the Borgia Papacy. Of course, this was not to last because gunpowder. So, what what was the rationale? Like, why were they doing this? Other, like, was it just a military uh, to uh, basically more militant popes, essentially, because the 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 papal army was very outdated by the time there was reform starting being placed. Like, it was 
it was barely functional, let's be realistic. Uh, and when you have the rest of the Italian city-states just employing mercenary troops, which, I mean, let, let, let's not let's not go let's not go discussing the effectiveness the effectiveness of Condottieri just yet. Uh, but suffice to say, the popes decided that a reform was in hand, and they and they thought, let's let's bring back Rome. So and and they based most of their stuff. I mean, this was a phenomenon that that some condentary armies exist, like the usage of the Pavese shield. In any other context other than like as a by crossbowmen, where where it was its big deal, but as like sword carrying infantry using pavises, essentially is is an echo of this. That as far as I understand, there was no attempt at equipment standardization in so much uh, along Roman lines, though efforts to standardize equipment were carried out. I mean, during this time period, tremendous amounts of military reforms were carried out, like the Tercio, which really only achieved its final its final stage after the Renaissance. But the but the earliest uh, parts of this started here. For example, the Portuguese Tercio, largely a copy of um, the Spanish one, of course, uh, had um, b basically we uh, uh, our manpower. We, Portugal until that point was very much reliant on mus on municipal militias to uh, to provide manpower. And what we did is that we started to transfer to slowly move from these municipal militias to basically municipal militias that get transformed into or trained, for lack of a better word. It's complicated here. We're f using the word trained, but we it, the shift towards the the militias, the municipal militias being more rigidly organized and trained along specific lines by by uh, central authorities rather than the municipal than than the municipium itself to begin this in the spanish case i'm only really familiar with the organization of the tercios by the 16th century which is a bit outside of the scope of this episode i i'd say 16th century is very much like the heart of the scope of the episode no, the, the uh, yeah, I for, I, for, I forgot. I I I was still uh, I was still thinking about like Renaissance as the as defined by art historians. So, fourteen. Yeah, but so, the fit. Yeah, but the fifteen hundreds are, are very much. Oh, sorry. Art history Renaissance. Si uh, yeah. Sorry. yeah, I'm in sixteen hundreds. Jesus Christ, I'm really. Yeah, I, which I, that would be the seventeenth century, chief. Yeah, Jesus Christ. What a fool I made of myself. No, yeah, it's, think... it's fine. It's easy to mistake to make. Um... I think it's... Uh, um, what's sort of very interesting about the, the Renaissance, um, especially the, the... I mean, we mentioned it earlier, this, like, apocalypticism. Um, you know, and, and you see this as well with the kind of um, return to Roman military practices that you, you mentioned, that... Um, in many cases, you see um, like a, a, a very aggressive attempt to imitate um, Roman styles and Roman art and the, all of these sort of things. Um, Roman hence, Latin. Like, yeah, Latin, Latin reform. So like Latin was um, reformed along um, to be more in line with 
Cato's Latin, I believe. Um, and you see, yeah, you see a whole bunch of interesting, yeah, what you could call, um, uh, like almost reactionary moves, um, that are often accompanied by this kind of extreme apocalypticism. Um, so, you know, if we revive Rome, then the world will end or that kind of thing. Yeah, because, um, that of, the, was very... because, of, the, because of the logic of the, the eschatological figure of the last Roman emperor. Yeah, not just the last Roman emperor, but like, um, just like, you know, uh, five empires, these kinds of things, or, or um, a general idea that political unity will will cause some kind of end of the world. Um, and that's sort of quite interesting, I, I think. Um, I mean, it, it's sort of one element that's not really mentioned about the Renaissance, that there is this extreme tendency towards... Um, towards desire for for the for the end of the world um even amongst these sort of amongst those who we would know for art um so like you know there's the bonfire of the vanities and these kinds of things um which if we discover all the land masses that means the world will end yeah, that was another quite common one. Like, um, that was a you know, we if we hook up with Prester John, the world will end. Uh, or, you know, if we preach, if everyone hears Jesus, then the world will end. Um, and just a variety of ways. And I, I mean, this is quite interesting as well because it's one of the few things about the Renaissance that is really distinctive to Europe because you don't see this kind of um, apocalypticism in the Middle East, even though you do see sort of changes in, um, in art styles or, or uh, religious expression or the emergence of gunpowder empires, those kinds of things. There was also uh, the the Council of Florence was a big one where you know if you reunite the churches that means the world will end shortly after. In general, uh, wasn't it also during the Renaissance that the like uh, the talk of the Third Age of the Spirit and like mystic and again apocalyptical mysticism also became a thing. Yeah, no, there is this uh, idea that there will there will be a third age of the spirit, at which point you know, the the nature of of the you know man's relationship to, to the church will change, and we're all going to become these monastics. This and many people then identified this with a series of growing movements, whether those be whatever the hell was going on in the in the 14th century or the hussites or the protestants or you know any number of these things you know yeah i mean again like the the, the theories of the third age of the spirit uh, the, uh, directly inspired many protest many both proto and uh, 
uh, reform re and church reformers. Well, not Protestants. Jesus Christ. Two th two different things. Yeah, I think like the Waldensians were were inspired by some by by similar by a similar logic and the. God, what was the other group? Could have sworn there was another group. The you know, the the, uh, the Dulcinians. Do you mean the uh, spiritual Franciscans? No, the spiritual Franciscans are. I mean, I guess I mean, I guess the spiritual Franciscans would also be influenced by this. Now that you mention it. Uh, yeah, generally, I mean, I mean, it's very it's very hard to keep track of of all the movements because there were so many. And yeah. they kept splitting, and then uh, reuniting, and then being condemned and falling out, and start springing back up again. And there were sort of amazingly scandalous executions in which you know there were these Dulcinian saints, and there were uh, saints recognized by the Catholic Church who were then claimed to be many things or to have had you know have it then engaged in these sort of salubrious acts and then you know it, it got very weird and strange meanwhile the average person just remembers galileo galilei nice paintings and not the complete apocalypticism of the age mm. also and this this is is related not very in a not very direct way to the Renaissance, but in uh, I can remember because I was hooked up to the net that during the beginning of Obama's first term, there was much chatter on the internet that Obama ha had made a secret pact and was going to invoke the third age of the spirit. What that? I mean, that was a thing. Right, and and like I I remember these there were these videos about like references to the third age and his speeches that were hidden, and it, it, you know, but that's I mean, uh, that's not related to anything because I mean, you know the, the internet there, is a maddening nothing. I mean, but, but you know it's you know. I mean, Sorry. but the, but but that does check out because like I was about to mention, if 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 the listener wanted to know what was to live in the Renaissance, they merely need to cast their minds back to the year of our Lord twenty twelve. When the big apocalypse scare uh, was uh, was on the news back then, yeah, it was like that, but way way bigger, and for a much longer time. Yeah, I mean there have have been subsequent bouts of apocalypticism, uh, like the English Civil War was of course huge for that stuff. There was also a massive wave of the end of the world Adventism in the 1840s in America, that was very big, and other places also had waves. Wasn't that, of it. Wasn't but, that but, like the Great Awakening? Isn't like that phenomenon called that? Yeah, there was a Great Awakening, and that led, among other things, to the to the formation of the Seventh Day Adventists, and uh, even as far into the 19th century as the Oh god, what are they called? The Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm. Well, still, one thing we... Uh, god damn it, we're really out of practice. Still, one thing, uh, one thing to keep in mind among, amongst the Renaissance that I would like to emphasize is that, especially when compared to the medieval ages, the Renaissance is, is considered a more hygienic age. 
truth uh, on this matter is that it's exactly the opposite. In fact, the Renaissance was when uh, was when Europe hit rock bottom in terms in terms of hygiene, where people believed that you needed a protective layer of dirt on you at all times in order to avoid getting the plague. Where uh, where ancient uh, both Roman and medieval, uh, well the the medieval ones were remnants of the Roman ones. Uh, bathhouses were dismantled because they were believed to be inhygienic, uh, and the highest. Um, the, the, the highest example of this was the infamous, well, I suppose infamous no more, but shocking, I guess, in its uniqueness, the national haircut of Poland, the Polish platter, which... Uh, to, Not platter, plat. Plat. And to, 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 to give a description, uh, dear listener, imagine never washing your hair to such a point where it becomes a solid mass. That was the Polish platter, plat. But to say the least, there was uh, there were similar things uh, elsewhere. Well, not not to the to the extreme of having a quote unquote national hairstyle like the Polish plat, but moves towards less hygiene were a thing. Uh, you see this, uh, if memory serves, in some stuff like the. I mean, I'm God. I can't remember exactly, but you see some uh, some moves towards less hygiene on part of the nobility. Uh, the, I think the clergy remain static in these affairs, but the the nobility and to an extent the commoners, especially the burghers, uh, also uh, adopted the, the, this, in hindsight, absurd anti-hygienist bend. Yeah, uh, but but of course, what's very interesting is that this sort of trend in anti-hygiene. Is is quite limited to Europe, mm-hmm. and uh, you know Europe was already somewhat behind on the in the hygiene game, but the, the rest of the a little Some... they were somewhat behind. But by the end of the Renaissance, they were immensely behind to the point that like going on into the the eighteenth century, there are like these shocking encounters with. Uh, other cultures where you know the the Europeans are so unhygienic that you know they are, many are quite shocked. Yeah, but no, the 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 best part is that the, the extreme of this anti-hygienicism that started by the Renaissance was in the creation of the UK plumbing system, where if uh, dear listener you go look up old news clippings from the time. You will see people describe the hygienicist movement, yeah, those who wanted plumbing, as nothing but sophistries, charlatans, and people who want to defraud state money in making such useful, uh, such useless things as a sewage system. Gotta love the Victorian era. Yeah, that was uh, not a good one. Nope. But again, it was a trend that started, that uh, started with the Renaissance. I mean, other things that also started with the Renaissance: uh, colonialism, basically, the colonial empire. The, the yeah, the Portuguese colonial empire started very early. I think fourteen fifty three, uh, with our taking of Ceuta, which, although lesser known but still painfully true, we took Ceuta. 
because of its uh, because again Portugal was a country that suffered from endemic famine throughout the vast majority of its existence. Uh, we took Ceuta because it had uh, uh, very very abundant wheat fields. I think it was wheat fields. It it, it was fertile. Predictably, and in true Portuguese fashion, throughout the centuries that we, uh, that we held Ceuta, we never made use of that. We were never able to control it well enough in order to make use of those fields. And so, like, in, 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 a, in a pattern that would, that would perpetuate itself throughout the history of the Portuguese Empire, we would try to achieve X, we would fail, and then we, and then we would retroactively make it so that the new objective was the original objective all along. Hence, why people somehow today still believe that the that the that the Portuguese Empire, colonial empire, was founded to convert the heathens to Christianity. It was not the case. I mean, we only went to the east uh, to the to the Spice Islands, as they were called because we genuinely believe that spices would cure the plague. Suffice to say, they do not cure the plague. No. But it wasn't the dumbest idea people had about what could cure the plague. Really? What was the dumbest? Pretty much all of the other ones, you know, the not washing, that one was... Because that one was actively harmful. Mm. Um, spices, while not proof against plague do often contain, you know, good antioxidants, which could help yeah. a that little is bit. True. Hey, it's true. It's, Not against plague, but, yeah. you know, joint pain. Hmm. Mm. I mean, fair enough. I mean, people did die. Uh, joint pain was a common occurrence back then, so... Well, common mm. back then and now as well uh, today, as I guess. Well, uh, today. The real plague is arthritis. <laughs> That's right. That is true. That, yeah. Yeah, also, uh, if you're wondering wh why in the Renaissance episode that's very meandering, why we're not talking about art, that's because the Renaissance was an artistic dark age between the glories of the High Middle Ages and the Baroque. You heard it here. That is definitely true. Um, when did the Baroque period actually start? Like, what is the usual definition of the Baroque? Um, uh, so the Baroque starts when they really get into like using uh, like light and darkness as a theme in their in their work. So that's usually in somewhere around between 1590 and 1610 is the beginning of the Baroque period in art. Going yeah. sometimes uh, as far as 1750. That makes perfect sense to me. If we are to define the Renaissance artistically, it shall be as a dark age where nothing of quality was made. Still, uh, God, I wanted to say. Oh, I, yeah. I don't think we have too much else to say. Sorry. Um, oh yeah. The, 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 the I mean, Macos, do you have anything else to say? Yeah, yeah. One, one last thing. Since this does get, since this is often brought up upon the Renaissance, this will be quick. Don't you worry. The, the, the Galileo Galileo's trial, because that's always one that gets brought up during the Renaissance, church oppression and what have you. And the trial is often 
is, is often poorly portrayed. Because what people forget about Galileo Galilei and Nicolaus Copernicus, well, Nicolaus Copernicus was an idiot. Uh, Galileo Galilei was an asshole of the highest order for which none, for which none uh, has, for which there is no compare, truly. I, don't, so, I, I think it's unfair to call Copernicus an idiot. When you, go, when, you, when you have the math to prove your theory, the go to... I know he had... Yeah, but I think, I think the proper term would be a fool. Uh, fair enough. Uh, I suppose, yeah, in, in, in Portuguese, the bo both are considered uh, mutually exchangeable, so fair enough. Fool. Mm -hmm. the, but yeah, Nicolaus Copernicus was his entire, his entire issue, and the reason why the theory didn't get approved back then was because when he was summoned to before the papal court, I think the Inquisition wasn't yet a thing, uh, or maybe it was. Uh, either way, uh, when he was summoned to court and he was asked to show proof of this, he, he, even though we know for a fact he had the math to, uh, to prove this, his answer was uh, something to the effect of, God showed it to me in a dream. Suffice to say, st uh, uh, stuff like that did not fly. On to Galileo Galilei, basically. Uh, but even not... even despite him withholding uh, his his proofs, it wasn't until uh, uh, sixty years by by which time Copernicus was that that much action was taken because it so happened that Copernicus was personal friends with the Pope. Yeah. No, uh, like again, even uh, but now but that's Copernicus's trial uh, done and dusted. Let's. Galileo Galilei is almost a saga. His um, basically the the whole the whole uh, the whole shitstorm starts when he publishes a book, published with the Pope's money and assent, in which he effectively calls uh, po uh, the Pope a mental retard. I, I think the term uh, I think the term was simplicimus or something along those cases, which at the time did mean effectively mental retard. Uh, I yeah. So, 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 so what, so what happens is that um, uh, in the 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 book, because Galileo's uh, most famous work is a dialogue between uh, Galileo himself and the fictional character of Simplicimus, who who then argues, uh, and Simplicimus is then argues, uh, you know, the Aristotelian model of physics, which is. Uh, you know, at this time approved by the church, which already gets controversial, but also in a letter, I believe, he did call uh, the, the Pope an ass. Yeah. And when he was brought to trial on this one, the, he, he, he was basically, he was basi basically like, I don't remember the exact particularities because I think like the Pope had less majesté and he could have, and he could have been literally trialed by violation of less majesté. But I think he, but in, but instead the, the, it was his uh, theory that was, uh, that was legally disputed. And basically uh, they were, uh, uh, they asked for Galileo's mathematical proof. He literally didn't have any. And uh, contrary to popular uh, to popular recognition, the Pope uh, the papacy is effectively that okay you know what for this uh, uh, you can you can you can still teach your theory as long as you teach it just as that a theory and you not start running around proclaiming it to be the absolute truth. 
uh, Galileo Galileo then leaves the court and immediately proceeds to preach his theory as the absolute truth, still having no mathematical proof for it. Uh, the papacy, seriously running out of patience at this point, summons him for another trial, and again, uh, and the second trial, uh, which again touches on the fact that he has no mathematical proof, and also that he, by virtue of his of, of shitty wording, um, and arrogance on his part, was committing low-level heresy. Uh, uh, and I mean, the 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 tr Galileo's tri second trial has been analyzed by modern experts, and most have pretty much side si with the papacy that he was. That, that he got off very light on both accounts, in essence. But yeah, on these, it was on the second trial where he was again told to shut up because he was essentially talking out of his ass that he should recant on his theories and that he did, essentially, even though there was all, this, whole, this whole myth of, of him during the, the, the trial under, under his breath saying, and yet, and yet the earth still moves. Really says, um, really you were saying? No, I was just going to say, I think that's a good place to conclude. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah I mean, no, this has is. been Monarchism. Yeah, no, Sorry. This has been Monarchism Unfiltered. Um, I'm I Am. I've been Bronze. I've been Bronze. Oh, God. And he left. <laughs>